Blessed be the fruit under his eye. May the Lord open. May the Lord open. Praise be. Praise be under his eye. Under his eye. Praise be. May the Lord open. May the Lord open. <laughs> under his eye. <laughs> under his eye. Are there any other ones? Other phrases? Blessed be the fruit. Oh, yeah. Blessed be, Blessed the, be fruit. the fruit. May the Lord open. With yogurt? Was that the <laughs> intro or are we doing a thing? It cancels each other out. I guess that was the I intro. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty perfect. So. That was great. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, welcome to Book Squad Goals. Um, I'm Kelly, and uh, I'm eating Fruity Pebbles. Yes. <laughs> with yogurt, because I'm healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Emily. I'm also healthy because I went to a cycle bar class this morning. Um, and I was trying to go really hard because I there was a person on the like uh, screen named Poopsicle. And I was like, I'm not getting fucking beat by Poopsicle. It was the worst name ever. Why would you call yourself that? So I was like going really hard. Like, I, I got to beat Poopsicle. So thank you, Poopsicle, wow. for what you did for me today. Gross. Yeah. Maybe Poopsicle did that on purpose to help for inspire me. The other people in the class. Oh, I hate her. I hate whoever that was. I I am Mary, and I am not healthy because I definitely had pizza for <laughs> breakfast. Yeah, and then I had an apple, but I put chocolate cashew butter on. It. Oh my gosh! Actually, so really that sounds delicious. I mean, the chocolate cashew butter was you know like homemade. So oh yeah, good job. Yeah, I'm Susan, and I guess since we're all just saying why we're healthy, um, <laughs> I am drinking a smoothie that has a whole banana in it. And there you go. It's canceling out the cocktails that I had yesterday, last night, and I ate Taco Bell at like midnight, so. Like, if you're not eating Taco Bell after you drink, what are you I'm doing? I'm more of a Waffle life? House after I drink type person. I mean, Waffle House is also good. Yeah. I, I like Waffle House at any time. I hate Waffle House. Like, I don't, I have a huge I don't need to drink. Waffle House. That's why you moved to New York so you can get far away from Waffle House. The truth comes out. It's true. <laughs> I don't have a problem with, like, bad breakfast food, but Waffle House is, like, <gasps> next level bad. What? Like, no, I like IHOP and Denny's, like that garbage but... okay the grits at waffle house are way better than the grits at ihop i'm not a that's grits true. girl Ooh, that's also why you moved in new york that's not what <laughs> you go there for it ain't international house right. of grits if i okay. get grits with my food i'll eat them but like i'm not gonna order grits you know on the next mini so <laughs> waffle house versus ihop <laughs> I'm going to open up ihop international house of grits and it's going to be delicious <laughs> ihop that sounds like it could be a lot of things. <laughs> it's it's grits though. Kelly's gonna move even further north to get away from that. Yeah, Canada. I'm leaving. <laughs> um. Okay. So, <laughs> speaking of moving to Canada. Speaking of moving. Oh to Canada, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, this week we are talking about *Handmaid's Tale*, the television show. Uh, though we will, pro- I'm sure we're gonna get into talking about the book as well. Um, have we all read the book here? I guess should I, I have, but I was in high school when I read it. Okay. So it's been a long time. I read time. it about five years ago, maybe. I also read it in high school, but I um, listened to the audiobook to prep for this episode because I am the star student today. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true. I read like a, like 
six chapters or something of the book before this episode and I just like didn't have time to re- finish rereading the whole thing so I just sort of like went online and did a quick recap looking <laughs> thing. <laughs> I recapped uh, myself as well but I actually remembered pretty much everything so yeah it's a really great book I mean I guess yeah. we should probably say like we all like this book right yeah, yeah. oh yeah oh yeah it. yes it's a great book and Margaret Atwood in general yeah. I should yeah. say I just watched I just finished the finale episode of the television show this morning, Whew. like fifteen minutes ago, Max, and so some stuff. I feel is, like you need a hug. Very fresh <laughs> on my mind right now. Yeah, <laughs> fresh, fresh. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess the first question is, um, like, what do we think about the show in compare? Because we all love the book. So, like, how did you feel about the show? Did you like it? Do you feel like it does justice to the book? Whatever else. Um, I felt like it did. I I like this show a lot. I think it's really well done. Um, it's really hard to watch, or it was really hard for me to watch. As as our friend Kyle says, it's a show that you need to lie down after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm lying down during. So yeah, same. You watch an episode and then you need to lay down for a little bit. Yeah, it's not bingeable. No, <laughs> like it's when it started, I didn't, I didn't start watching it until I think maybe like four episodes had been out. Cause I just hadn't gotten around to it yet. And I like binged those episodes and I just felt like garbage for like a day afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was just so depressed. Yeah. yeah um, about right. Cause it's really a lot. Mm-hmm. Also that weird little intro that it always has at the beginning where it has that like depressing um, Hulu song and it's like. Her at the wall the with like a wall. scrub bucket. Yeah, it's not even a song. It's just like boom, yeah, it's like, <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hate that. That sound effect <laughs> literally means this is not bingeable. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Like, did you already watch an episode today? Stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a weird. warning sound. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've read the book, and I think The Handmaid's Tale. Like with a lot of books that are really good, means different things to you at different points in your life. And so I'm curious how I would feel about it reading it now, because the show definitely affected me in a different way than the book did. But I was in high school when I read the book, and maybe I'm a little more um, conscious of social injustice now. I definitely think the TV show is more graphic in a way or does some things that are past a point of where the book goes. Yeah, it does. I think I think that the thing is like in the book there's a lot of stuff that's implied. Yes. And also there in the book you only have one perspective, which is Offred, which in the show that's one of the things that is different that they explicitly say her name is June. Um mm-hmm. and in the book it's like her name could be June because she like lists names of women who she's in this, their, what is it called? Training with, I don't know what they call, what they call that in the gymnasium. (laughs) But um, she lists the names and then all of the other characters that have names become characters except for the name June. So then we are potentially led to assume that her name is June. Mm -hmm. But then Margaret Atwood has said like, I didn't mean that, but that's fine if you want to assume that. Okay, Margaret. Okay, Margaret. (laughs) We get it. You wrote the book. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, love you, Margaret. I feel like I am having a more, a less positive reaction to this show than a lot of people that I've talked to. And I will, like, talk about why that is later, I think. But, I mean, I liked it. And I do feel like it's, like, an adaptation that follows everything in the book. But there are things about it that, like, things that they added 
that I am not a fan of. And not just because I'm like, that didn't happen, but because I don't... There are things I added that I think are successful. Mm-hmm. But then there's other things I added that I that I felt um, apprehensive about. And then um, I also... And this is just a personal thing, but I really do not respond well to, like, close-ups of faces. <laughs> and this whole show... There's a lot of close-ups. It's so many close-ups. And I get that it's, like supposed to be like making you feel um you know claustrophobic and and having this sense of like being trapped but at the same time I'm like I could still feel that way and also like not be feeling miserable while I'm watching it because also the close-ups are always like from slightly beneath them because of their uh (laughs) head things so then it's just like this awkward like least flattering angle of every like (laughs) actor or actress on the show and it's just like oh I just don't like it it makes me feel uncomfortable and it's distracting and it like pulls me out of it. <laughs> I mean, except for Samira Wiley, because I don't think she has a batting. No, she doesn't. She's perfect. Wait, who is that? Um, that's Moira. Moira. Oh, yeah. yeah, but she doesn't have a hood on like ever either. That's true. And she doesn't get that many close ups because she doesn't get that much screen time, which we can talk about later. I will say that, I mean, this has been renewed for a second season. And what? Yeah. How? The way that they're setting it up um, <laughs> makes it seem like Moira's going to have more to do in the next season because, like, you know, spoiler, she does escape to Canada by the end of it um, and meets up with Luke. Uh, so I feel like we're going to see maybe more, that storyline more now that yeah. her storyline yeah. and Luke's storyline story are kind of like merging. Yeah. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Um, cause I love Samira Wiley. Like, on um, she's so amazing on Orange is the New Black. Like, oh, see, I don't watch that show. But... It's a good show. I mean, it's I, like, I tried to watch it and I was like, not able to get into it, but maybe I wasn't in the right mood. I don't know. Yeah. I just like, I appreciate that show because it like, there's like so many characters. So you can all, you can find like a couple storylines to get invested in, even if there are some of them that you don't like that much. Okay. Piper. Yeah, Piper. Like, so you should keep watching because she becomes less and less important as the show goes on. Okay, so anyway, that's a tangent anyway, so we can talk about something else. But um, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. my point was that uh, close-ups, not into it, unless it's Samir Wiley. That's fair. Um, but also just like, I don't know, the show, I people keep saying that the show is like very beautifully filmed <laughs> and stuff. And to me, it just looks really like bleak and ugly, which I know is part of the point. But I don't know. I just, like, didn't respond very well to, like, the cinematography. It's a little, like, overly symbolic. Um, but I yeah. think that the book also has that problem as well. I mean, her name is Off Red, right? Yeah. Like, it's a little on the nose. So, I don't know, maybe it matches up with the book in that way that it's just, like, very, like, mm. overtly symbolic. But, yeah, like, I think if I'm aware of the cinematography that much, um, that's not usually a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I liked the way it looked even if it even if it was overly symbolic but i thought it reminded me i don't know if you guys have seen the killing on netflix but the kind of gray bleakness um you know besides the few colors that people are wearing reminded me of that and i was really into that look as well like i did feel yeah and with the close-ups i also did feel claustrophobic but i think i i think that i'm feeling anything like that is a positive thing yeah so I wanted to talk about just some general comparisons or like things that 
have changed from the book to the show. So one of the major changes is that this show, the book came out in 1985, correct? So it came out in 1985, and so basically it took place in the 80s. And this show takes place in, like, our contemporary world, which, like, isn't that big of a time difference, but is a big difference as far as, like, how much, like, our culture has changed, especially because of technology. And in, like, the first episode, I was super, like, thrown by when they're in the, um, like, gym and Aunt Lydia is, like, talking to them about, like, what they did wrong and stuff. She says, like you people using your Tinder. And I was just like, whoa, like Tinder. (laughs) That's so Mm -hmm. weird. (laughs) Um, And so I, I, but then like, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, well, why would they set it in the (laughs) 80s when, you know, like at the time it was contemporary. So might as well keep it contemporary. Um, But Mm -hmm. I wanted to know like what you guys thought about, like, does that feel like realistic to you that something like this could happen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I hesitate to like be too political, but I feel that I mean (laughs) this is it felt a little too real (laughs) intentionally at this time because of Donald Trump. Like, I mean, a lot of women are scared for their rights. A lot of uh, people of color are scared for their rights, and I think rightfully so. And I mean that. I mean that's why this is such a timely show, and I think it's resonated with so many people because shades of the handmaid's tale are happening right now well it wasn't it didn't intentionally come out because of donald trump like this was like this was a show that they have been putting together since before the donald trump stuff happened and they have said on the record that this isn't a directly response to donald trump however i do think that you're right that the reason that it's resonating with viewers so much is because yeah yeah of the even i mean even if it even if it wasn't intentional, I think they're definitely capitalizing on the moment in their marketing For sure. and in stuff that's coming out about it. Well, especially like seeing scenes of protests and I mean, that's happening. Right. And like you're, you see a women's protest scene, which is really hard not to connect to <laughs> the women's march and all the other offshoots of it. Yeah. So it feels... Even if unintentional, it lined up pretty perfectly. It, this is like a terrible thing to say, but that that worked out well for them. <laughs> um, I'm glad it worked out for somebody. I just want to go on the record and say, like, I I don't mind if we get political on this podcast. I think that we've gotten sort of political on our blog before, and I think like where we stand on a lot of political issues is probably pretty obvious to people at this point. Like, I know I probably come off as like a radical left-wing feminist bitch. Um, and that's, that's fine. Cause that's kind of like the brand I'm going for. So, <laughs> um, on brands. So I'm trying to stay on brand. So I'm okay with talking about politics. If you guys aren't okay with listening about politics, like listening to politics talk, then maybe just skip this episode and go back and listen to the Guardians of the Galaxy episode or something. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to not talk politics when you're talking about The Handmaid's Tale, whether it's the book or the TV show. Yeah. Because it is so interconnected. Yeah, well, because even if we weren't living in Trump's America, there would still be, like, political resonance to it either way. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for women. Yeah. Yeah. That's 
like a really obvious statement, I feel like. But, yeah, especially <laughs> for women. Margaret Atwood has said everything that happens in the book has happened at some point in history. Yeah. 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 Um, in some capacity. Except for like mass infertility occurring, which yeah. that's probably in our future, but that's, <laughs> that's what children of men told me. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, think how many. There are several movies that that imagine that kind of future. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting that it's taking some really, like, antiquated stuff about, like, the response to that potential future is this really antiquated, mm-hmm. violent, like, restrictive. Mm. Very scary. Well, because <laughs> it stems it stems from a place of um, religion on the, sh- on the show and in the book where yeah. mm-hmm. uh, they're taking the infertility to mean that it's a punishment from God and that they have to return to like, like old timey family values and like, you know, hardcore following the Bible and the church to, you know, uh, make up for their sins somehow. Um, And specifically that women are to blame for what's happening as well. Like men are not the ones that are infertile. Men can't be infertile. (laughs) Right. We would not even speak of such a thing. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So the fact that it's it's not people who are paying for sins, it's the women who are paying for the sins. I mean, that's totally that's totally how it is, though. Like, if you are in a in a marriage trying to have a kid and you can't, it's never suspected that the man is sterile. It's always somehow like, well, what's wrong with her? You know, I mean, people just assume that. Yeah. Um. The commanders who. Like the that doctor makes the comment that they're probably all infertile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> reminded me so much of it's very like Henry the Eighth. Like oh yeah, just yeah, like it's everyone else's fault. And like when a handmaid doesn't get pregnant, it's the handmaid's fault, and she's punished for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like you know he had all the wives that he sort of cycled through, and just cycling through handmaids because it can't possibly be. Exactly. His Until his wife's like, I'm fed up. You're fucking the driver. Go. <laughs> Give me my baby. I, oh, man. I the love wife. her. We've got to talk about her. Okay, yeah. I okay, so her. that's another thing. Serena Joy. She yes. is on this list yeah. um, of changes that I wanted to talk about. Serena Joy is one of the changes to this series that I think is that works really well. Because um, in the book, she's a lot older. Um, she has like a smaller role she's still like you know prominent because she's still like the lady of the house and all this stuff but on the show you know they made her a lot younger and they made the commander younger as well um I think to like give us a sense of like you know she's she's probably not that different in age from um June or Alfred and this is like the two types of like or two of the types of paths that women might have taken or been forced into in this society she also um, is potentially responsible for the creation of this entire society and then is, you know, paying back for it, like, in kind. <laughs> so I think oh, yeah. that's super interesting and was not really a part of her character at all in the book. So what do you guys think about her? I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I love her. <laughs> um, I was very disturbed by the what she what she did in the final episode mm-hmm. um, when she, yeah. when she takes Alfred to see her daughter, basically just like walks her in the car while she like 
goes has to a see nice her little daughter. chat with her daughter. Yeah, and then comes back and is basically like, "If you don't fuck with my kid, I won't fuck with yours." Yeah. Um. And then Elizabeth Moss is like, "Watch me act. I am so good." Yeah. At yeah. That scene was so good. It just like <laughs> it it messed me up. Yeah. I was so messed up. I was like, "Oh, what is happening?" That scene was really hard to watch. That yeah. I think was one of the most difficult scenes. Oh, yeah. in the was, in really the show bad. and it was really good and really successful and it was an addition um, mm-hmm. to the story mm-hmm. so yeah um and i i would also say that i don't love serena joy i think she's terrible but i yeah, think she's as a, a great character character she's yeah you know she's, okay let me defend my story oh go no no i that's, that's good I, yeah i love i love serena joy not in the way like oh i love her and think we'd be best exactly friends, yeah or whatever I mean. but she's a really <laughs> complex character I think in a way that a lot of the other characters on the show aren't even the ones that are given sort of additional story and background Mm -hmm. because she, you really see her struggle with Mm -hmm. not only her place as a wife Mm -hmm. and like her limited power. Cause I mean, she's in a sense, everything she does to offer it is a power play. Right. I mean, everything like taking her to see her daughter, ultimate power play. And she's protecting herself and her own position because she doesn't have much to hold on to. I mean, she she like knows her husband is having essentially affairs with all of these handmaidens in a way that he's not supposed to, like outside of the ceremony. She knows that he doesn't really care about her anymore in the way he once did. So she's just trying to hold on to what she has. And I think it's very interesting. And she's messed up and does a lot of terrible things. But at the same time, I still feel like I have to have some sympathy for her because she signed up for something she didn't anticipate the full consequences of. Yeah. Yes. That's what's so, that's the most complex thing about her is like how much of it she's sort of pegged as responsible for. But then is also because of the rules that she's helping write, she then is excluded from actually having any real say in it, which has got to be a weird place to be in. (laughs) But she also, once she is in this society that I don't know that that, I don't think that this society is probably what she exactly envisioned it would be. Because she seems like a miserable person, but she has these real moments of empathy where... It's not always toward Offred, because a lot of that, I think, is like a forced kind of thing. But when she's with Warren's wife, who doesn't seem to really care for their baby Mm -hmm, very much, and is complaining about the baby a lot, and she wants to, she seems to have these, like, real motherly qualities where she wants to really take care of the baby and make sure it's okay, and I don't know. I just, I'm so interested in her. She's probably, like, she's probably my favorite character. Yeah, I feel similarly. And I also think that her her storyline is also a, a really good, like, it shows how, like, women can be, like, villains in these stories, too, and how especially white women can, like, you know, like, ignore the suffering of the people below them because they're allowed to be in a, in a higher position. So it's yeah. like... They benefit from the patriarchy. Exactly. While still suffering from the patriarchy (laughs) like i was just gonna say like her backstory was the most interesting to me like when we got backstories for luke and nick 
And I was just like, okay, I'm over it. Can we get back to... Well, I want to talk about that, too. Um, the women. Yeah. Can we get back to the women? Because I have a fucking problem with that. Yeah. Uh, but her backstory was the most interesting. And I think, I think I'm obsessed with her because I, I grew up in a very conservative Southern Baptist family. And I'm not... Um, I'm not unthankful for that because in a lot of ways it sheltered me from a lot of bad stuff. But like I see women like her in churches that I grew up in, you know, like women who just quietly support their husbands while going insane in their own domesticity. Mm-hmm. And in a, and uh, like using the Bible as an excuse to not fully realize themselves mm-hmm. yeah if that makes sense and it's very it's very sad totally so i i feel it i feel it i, I know people like serena joy yeah and i i like connect also to the way that she like is basically not allowed and women in this society like ours and in the show society aren't really allowed to express anger because she's clearly a person who has so much anger inside of her. And we see these scenes where she's alone or when she's with Offred, where she takes out like all of her aggression and anger on this person who is in a position below her when her anger is way more directed at the people above her. But she can't, you know, when she's in situations like, you know, at these like meetings or whatever, and someone like makes a comment or says something that, or like, you know, closes her out, she just like sits there and like smiles tightly and like doesn't like can't react but she's like holding it all in and I also think that that's um a lot uh to the credit of Yvonne Strahovski Yvonne Strahovski Mm -hmm. the actress who plays her who I first saw in Chuck (laughs) the tv show (laughs) do you guys remember that show yeah yeah I never watched it but I remember it. it I wanted to talk about her too though like as an actress Mm -hmm. because when I saw her in the first episode I was like oh no (laughs) not not excited because I first saw her in Dexter and it was when Dexter was like sort of starting to go off the rails (laughs) and so I thought that she was terrible but now I realize it was just that she had shitty material yeah she's a great actress I thought she was fantastic in this and Mm so I'm really sorry Yvonne yeah for my misjudgment and i'm sorry that dexter gave you some shit to work with yeah she's really one of the people on the show who like the as soon as i saw her like even though i knew who she was as an actress i immediately like bought who she was and that she's like a part of this weird Mm -hmm. society where like there are other people on the show like like even elizabeth moss to a certain extent where it took me like an episode to be like okay like we're in this show we're not like you know, on Mad Men or... This isn't Mad Men. <laughs> like, one one of these other movies that she's been in recently. Like, the one I love. Like, I've seen her in a lot of stuff recently. And... But she's very, like, distinctive. So... But I just felt like... Which is, is something to say that, like, her character on the show doesn't fit into the society as well as the, you know, Serena Joy character does. But I just thought that was, like, impressive that I immediately believed that she was this, like, puritanical, <laughs> like figure of you know oppression Uh, i was just gonna say also she's gorgeous and australian and why are all australians beautiful (laughs) and good at acting yeah (laughs) she's like stop you know good question it's all that running away from dangerous animals that they have to do as children it just like (laughs) makes them beautiful (laughs) and 
their bodies become gazelle-like. Yeah, my God. <laughs> so let's let's quickly talk about what we had just mentioned, which is that um, there are some men who get quite a lot of backstory, um, particularly Luke, who, yes, that is my thought, like, so fucking boring, like, (laughs) that whole episode with Luke, I was like, is it over yet? Like, Jesus, I'm so bored. Well, it was just because it was all him running around being like, oh my god, my wife, what happened? (laughs) And he, like, it didn't cut to flashbacks and to the present like it does with every other character i mean even um the episodes that are about serena joy or nick you see the present what's happening in gilead and then you see flashbacks to the past before but with luke for some reason Mm-hmm. We needed an hour of him riding around in the snow being like, I need to get back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't take me to Canada. And I was not here for that. No. <laughs> me neither. I also kind of hate Luke because we first, I mean, like, the idea that he just left his wife for someone else, I don't I don't like that. And I realize that they kind of end up happy together and have a daughter or whatever, but like, I just never well, trust him. I mean, that. I don't know. We don't know what his home situation was like. Maybe his wife was beating him. Like, we just don't know why people do the things <laughs> I'm they do. I'm surprised we didn't get a whole know. episode about what. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, like, I, I right? try not to judge people for. I'm judging Luke. Yeah. Well, my my issue with this is partially because I feel like this actor, which he doesn't have a lot to do. So that's one thing. So I don't know if he's not a good actor or what. It's not that he's not a good actor, but he doesn't seem to have like any charisma or like on-screen presence. He's very like flat. He doesn't, I'm not like intrigued by him. Like at least Nick, played by Max Minghella, is like, you know, interesting. Like he's, he's is not- he- I mean, he's not interesting, but, like, I'm more, like, if he's on screen, I'm more inclined to, like, pay attention (laughs) because he's, like, very silent and has this, like, creepy thing going on. That's the thing is, to me, I would just say he looks brooding. He's just always, like... That's true. Um, But he he also gets, you know, not his own whole episode, but, like, parts of an episode of backstory about him, which, you know, tells us almost nothing is pretty much pointless. Yeah. And I feel like... um, this show's creator is a man, like, the the person who put this show together to be on Hulu is a man, and I think they have, like, women writers and mm-hmm. women producers, but I think I'm wondering if the inclusion of so many, like, exclusively male storylines on this show has to do with that, or if they were just trying to make sure that they appealed enough to, like, their male viewers by having enough men on the show to, like, explore, because they were not explored at all in the book. But, you know, I, th- I think there was a more interesting way to do it. I am I mean, I'm definitely not opposed to hearing the men's stories. I just think you could have picked more interesting dudes. Yeah. Like, um, I would be interested to see the backstory of Fred. Yeah. And we see a little bit of that in Serena Joy's backstory. But I would like to see a little more of that. I'm and sure like, we'll get that. <laughs> learn how, how did he become so terrible? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that I would be surprised if they didn't go into that, you know, in season two, (laughs) which is also like, how far are they going to take this? Because this show is just going to totally branch out into its own thing because... Well, I mean, they finished the book. Yeah. But I will say, having reread the book, 
I forgot how like unsatisfying the ending is and maybe this is an issue yeah. with dystopian fiction but I mean like it ends with she, Nick is like don't worry about it go with these people it's fine and she's like alright and she doesn't know if she's like going to her death or escaping and we never find out I would be like I'm not fine with it yeah yeah please explain no yeah yeah so i i found that kind of like a frustrating ending um looking back because then it you know a lot of times you're when you read obviously you're reading for lots of different things but one of the things you're reading for is like how is this going to resolve and it's okay if it resolves in a sad way or if it doesn't resolve how you want it to um, but you, you want some sort of resolution, I feel like, and there was no resolution in the book. So, I mean, honestly, I'm okay with there being a second season because I feel like there's a lot you could do from here. Yeah, I'm just concerned about out of the things that they added to the show, I'm concerned that th- the second season is going to go more into the like, you know, we added Luke and <laughs> backstories for these other characters that we don't care about territory and less into like the interesting things that they did, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm just like, I feel like the added content has been um, not even in quality, <laughs> if that makes sense. So yeah. hopefully like they'll do things that are, are interesting and cool and aren't centered around dudes because uh, I don't care about them. <laughs> not all dudes but you know those two specific dudes not all men not all men okay so another thing i wanted to talk about is which emily and i uh talked about before how dare you sorry again but you know <laughs> we've got our side we have a side blog and side podcast going on that you guys don't how even know you? about it's true it's secret all right mary we need to start. We need to get on it. <laughs> start a competing blog. <laughs> no. So at, at the Tribeca Film Festival, there was a controversial event during which <laughs> um, members of this cast were being interviewed and uh, the interviewer asked basically a question that was like, you know, do you consider this like a feminist work? And did you choose it like for that reason? Or what reasons did you choose it for? For why are you doing this? <laughs> no, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Almost all of the cast members either dodged the question completely or answered it by saying, this is not a... Okay, here, let me just read what Elizabeth Moss said, who, uh, let me just mention, is a Scientologist. So oh, take so that strange to me. into account. Yeah, that is so strange to me. Too. Um, like, I mean, she's a Scientologist. She was born into Scientology, so that, like helps explain it a little more but why are you still there yeah yeah so she says for me it's not a feminist story it's a human story i because women's rights are human's (laughs) rights so for me i never intended to play peggy as a feminist feminist (laughs) peggy for mad men I never intended to play Offred as a feminist. They're women and they're humans. Offred's a wife, a mother, a best friend. You know, she has a job and she's a person who's not supposed to be a hero and she falls into it. Um, And then she goes on to say, for me, you know, I never approach anything with any sort of political agenda. I approach it from a very human place, I hope. Um, Like what? what? I'm gagging and not in the positive way, like on RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) 
Yeah, I I'm just so confused by that Here's answer. The thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I think that there is a huge hesitation by people to own the word feminist because there are some individuals who use the term feminist to mean something it entirely does not mean. I mean, to me, feminism is just, hey, wouldn't it be neat if everyone was treated equally? (laughs) But there are people who have a problem with it. And a lot of times it's men who have a problem with it because they don't like feminine anything Mm -hmm. to be (laughs) suggested to them. Side note, I seriously had a guy tell me one time, well, if it wasn't called feminism, I might be more okay with it. What? Yes, because he he said, you know, you wouldn't want to have, like, something masculine in a term that you are called. And I was like, I can't talk to you, please cease. I can't roll my eyes and even back in my head. But also... There are women who hesitate to accept the label of feminism because they believe it means that they hate men. Yeah. Which is simply yeah. not and true. that is the most baffling group of anti-feminists that yeah. I've come across. And I mean, I think that might be the caste hesitation or yeah. the hesitation to not include stories of dudes in the show is because it's like someone could say, well, do you hate men? Is that what you mean? And that's just like, that's not what feminism is. Yeah. So just say, yes, it's a feminist show. It's a show concerned about issues that are important to women. It's a show concerned about the treatment of women. And it is showing blatantly the inequality that could happen in the world. I mean, I don't, Elizabeth Moss, come fight me. (laughs) Do you think that that's Elizabeth Moss? Moss? Moss. (laughs) (laughs) leave it that that is elizabeth moss's answer or that is like the show's pr right conglomerate telling them sell it this way yeah so it's more palatable i think that might be part of the issue because i was reading another interview uh between elizabeth moss and margaret atwood earlier and elizabeth moss was saying in it like you know i identify as a feminist I just don't know how to call this show, if I should call this show feminist. And so, and Margaret Atwood published um, this essay in the New York Times in uh, March about like what this show means and this book means in the Trump era. Um, And that actually, I was reading my roommate's like new, brand new copy of the book and it's like the preface in the book. Mm -hmm. And in that, um, she says this, and I just wanted to read this quote because I think it's like, really exactly what you were just saying, Mary, and explains, like, why this book and show is totally feminist. (laughs) Okay, so she's talking about what questions she often gets asked about The Handmaid's Tale, and she says, is The Handmaid's Tale a feminist novel? If you mean an ideological tract in which all women are angels and or so victimized that they are incapable of moral choice, no. If you mean a novel in which women are human beings with all of the variety of character and behavior that implies and are also interesting and important, and what happens to them is crucial to the theme, structure, and plot of the book, then yes, in that sense, many books are feminist. Um, And then she says, why interesting and important? Because women are interesting and important in real life. They're not an afterthought of nature. They're not secondary players in human destiny. And every society has always known that. So... I have to, I kind of feel like that was a response to, like, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, but 
of people saying like, well, it's not feminist, it's humanist, which is my least favorite right. thing that anyone ever says and is said a lot. Well, it's like, it's like the people that say that answer are the people that are like, no, all lives matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. And you're like, I can't explain again yeah. why this is problematic. And also you're so missing the point. <laughs> yes, all yeah. lives matter, but some lives have been <laughs> historically ignored. Yeah. Historically ignored. Yeah. So we're paying more attention to those lives right now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, well and to look at the handmaid's tale and not recognize that it's focusing on things that specifically affect women or could affect women is crazy to just be like, no, that's uh, you know, it's just people. It's fine. Yeah. It's clearly no. feminist. It's feminist. Deal with it. Sorry, sorry you don't like the word. <laughs> sorry you don't like the word. Yeah. I'm not sorry you thoughts. don't like the word. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Seriously, I think a lot of people's hang up with it is the word. Like, and I don't understand that, said, that. Whatever that weirdo guy said to you. I don't understand that, though. That is some fragile masculinity. It's so <laughs> fragile because essentially you're saying... I don't want to be associated with anything that even has the word woman in it because I'm a man. Well, yeah. And also that is just showing further the issue here, which is that like many men are always afraid of being of the implication that they are weak or like a woman because woman equals bad. <laughs> like I have, to, I have to say newsflash men. Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody. I'm not like on weak man patrol every time I go out. I am. Yeah, we actually really don't care about you and what you're doing pretty much at all. Emily and I carry tasers and just go after the weak men as we walk in. <laughs> you can spot them because they're feminists. So yeah. They, have, they wear a big sign. But so yeah, some of, some of like the kindest, most caring, I would say attractive men I know would be considered, quote, weak by traditional masculinity standards. Yes. And I would much rather... I mean, I married a feminist. Yeah. And... Good. I mean, I don't think that lessens his manhood in any <laughs> Yeah, way. we used no. him on Ask a Man. Obviously, he's very manly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, like, I don't want to be with a dude who's afraid of women things, because guess what? No. I'm a woman thing. I'm going to be around. <laughs> I quote Emily, I'm a woman thing. Guess what? I'm a woman thing. <laughs> yeah. I That's the it. name of this episode. <laughs> <a woman> thing. <laughs> no, but really, it's like how it's it's very interesting this juxtaposition of like all these heterosexual men who are like afraid of anything feminine, but also like claim to want to be with women. Like so you wanna have sex with women, but you don't like women. It's just a really strange thing to me. Yeah. Same. So the last thing I wanted to talk about um, is race on this show, um, which, disclaimer, we are all white women. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but we can't change it now. Yeah, so it's too late. One major change about the show um, from the book is that in this new Gilead, it's like a post-racial society, basically. There are, like, black people in the society or people of color, like... I mean, I don't I don't know, like, if we see... I don't know. We don't I see... Was just about, I was just about to say, where are they at, though? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Mo, like Moira and 
I mean, Luke, but Luke is technically like, we only really see him in, not in like a position in Gilead. He's like mm-hmm. in the pre era and then he's like escapes. Yeah. Um. So we don't know what would have happened to him or how he would have been treated or handled if he was like still stuck in this society. But I mean, there are, there are a lot of background characters that are like, people of color who are like standing around like are in the society, but we don't really get to hear anything they have to say or anything that they're struggling with. And in the book, it's basically um, implied that all people of color have been like removed from this society and sent back to where they came from, quote unquote, Um, which is also terrible and, but terrible possibly in a more realistic way because it seems completely unrealistic that this that this is what society would develop into and they would have such an opposition to women but they would have no but like they don't see color like that just seems bizarre and wrong and just like silly honestly if we're thinking about the world that we live in today because mm-hmm. um, they did move it into contemporary society and that's a huge issue going on right now and if you're going to reference like the women's march or like you know, women's protests and stuff like that. How can you not talk about, like, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that? Well, because we're dealing with this issue that I talked about in my blog, if you want to go back and read about Marsha Clark. Yeah! But this issue of, like, white feminism and the fact that feminism, as most people reference it, has not always been the best about including other races. So I feel like this show is kind of suffering from that a little bit where it's like how can we talk about women's issues and also talk about race issues and it's like how can you talk about women's issues and not talk about race issues? exactly um it's you're excluding a lot of women when you do that and i think it's a huge problem oh yeah it's a huge problem because you have someone like samira wiley on this show who is like you know an incredible actress and she is like given a character to play who is seemingly a main character But then she doesn't even get, like, a backstory episode in the first season while, like, these other men get backstory episodes. And yet she is, like, you know, to to hear what her story was like after she escaped instead of getting, like, a brief recap from her, like, about what happened to her. But, like, how – like, that would have been a perfect opportunity to, like, show – like what this experience might be like for a woman of color. But did they take that opportunity? No, because they're not worried about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, you know, even in Luke's backstory, was there like any like single small reference (laughs) to like him being black? Like, no. Um, And so there's, I'm going to link to this because uh, I think it's really interesting. Um, Angelica Jade Bastian, who uh, is a critic for various outlets, but she uh, was doing recaps of the show for the New York Times And she wrote a lot about, like, the problems with race um, for her recaps. And then she, after the season finished, she wrote a piece for Vulture just about the way that the show fails to be honest about race. Um, And she says, How can you attempt to craft a political, artistically rich narrative that trades in the real-life experiences of black and brown women while ignoring them and the ways sexism intersects with racism? Mm -hmm. The Handmaid's Tale creates a claustrophobic reality, particularly for black viewers, and the characters that mirror us on screen. Its catchy feminist rhetoric is a mask for how it propagates the same systems it seeks to critique. The bodies and histories of black and brown women prove to be useful templates for shows like The Handmaid's Tale, but our actual voices aren't. Because also a lot of of the themes of The Handmaid's Tale, you know, reflect back to slavery. And Mm -hmm. how can you talk about 
slavery without talking about people of color. It's like a huge issue. And it definitely like pulled me out of the show a lot, especially because like, you know, I was following her on Twitter and after every episode I was reading her recaps and I was just thinking like, you know, this is really true and it is a huge problem. And like, yes, they might try to amend some of that stuff um, in the second season, but it's like, why didn't you, you know, think about that before? It's very frustrating and like upsetting. Yeah, I guess that's my only response to this and hope for it is that they are going to hopefully have more about that in the second season. But if it's if it's a truly, uh, you know, like post-racial society, if that's even a thing that can exist, they need to show women of color in positions of power, too. Yeah. Um, like we need to see the Serena Joy equivalent, you know, like right. a wife mm-hmm. who is a woman of color. And I kind of wondered about that when Serena Joy takes June to see her daughter. You know, her daughter is a mixed child and she's yeah. presumably living with someone. And I kind of wonder, like, how is she accepted into that family? And like, is that something anyone talks about? Like, there's no talk about race, and I think that's a conversation that would definitely be going on, especially because the you know, Gilead is based so heavily on this sort of, like, Old Testament ruthless rhetoric, a lot of which people use now to justify racism. Uh-huh. So I think that's definitely something that they, ha- they have to address it. Cool. <laughs> I'm glad we all agree. Glad we. <laughs> um, so, do you guys have anything else you wanted to say um, or talk about? I have something silly I have to say. Okay. Say it. The whole time I was watching the show, I watched a lot of it with my roommate, and she brought up that I probably was really into all of the outfits the handmaids have to wear, and I admit. <laughs> Like, if I could just wear a fabulous red cloak every day, I might, I might be interested. But how about that hood? I'd be like, I can't see anything. But maybe I don't want to look at people. Well, you're meant to look down the whole time, so. I, I feel, I feel, I would feel a little disoriented if I couldn't see someone creeping up on me. Because, especially with the school bus outside of my apartment, I'm really (laughs) terrified. school bus! I have a scary school bus parked outside my apartment. Sometimes the doors are open. At night, at the doors night. are off. Is it open. like a, a still-functioning school bus? Like, does it go yeah. and do school yeah. bus things it during the day? Yeah, it goes and does school bus things during the day. It's not when it's going and doing its thing that I'm scared of it. It's when it's parked in front of my apartment with the door open. And I'm like, okay, there are definitely scary homeless people hanging out in there that want to kill me. Not all homeless people, all right? But the bus homeless people definitely want to kill me. Yeah. Can we please call the bus... Horror bus? Yeah, yes. horror bus. It definitely is. So that is the horror last boost. thing I have to say, is that there's a horror bus outside. And I don't want to wear a hood because I need to be alert. Yeah. But also, like, the the cloaks are fabulous. <laughs> the Serena Joy's dresses, I'm very into her. Them. Her outfits are super beautiful. And I her cloak them. is great yeah. as well. That is her like, color. I think my, like, what I learned from this show the most is I need to invest in some cloaks. Yeah cloaks i'm glad you have a takeaway message hashtag bring back the cloak (laughs) i did not i was not a fan of the bunchy underwear oh yeah they were basically like boxers but like even looser than boxers i was like how (laughs) 
And they use they use pads, right? Like napkins. Yes. They yeah. use yeah. napkins. How would a pad? You gotta let it breathe down there for fertility. Probably. It's probably one of those like cloth. It's like a cloth rewashable napkin. Yeah, but how does that napkin stay? The patriarchy. The patriarchy keeps it in there. Yeah. You clinch. You keep your goddamn legs closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, the logistics of the napkin and the undies, I just had a question about. But I'll, I'm willing to let it go. Maybe it'll resolve in the second season. Yeah, maybe season two, they'll get <laughs> into that for you. a napkin backstory, a full napkin backstory. do have our, our next book coming up in two weeks yes in two weeks we will be reading perfect little world by kevin wilson well we'll be discussing the book which we have already read yeah perfect little world by kevin wilson it is a tale of group parenting <laughs> and romance <laughs> and barbecue <laughs> Oh, you make it sound so interesting. A tale of parenting. Well, it is interesting because it's... and barbecue. It's the tale... It's a tale of... That's all accurate, though. A strange group parenting experiment. A psychological experiment. Um, It's definitely interesting, and I'm really curious what everyone else thought about it, so I'm excited to talk about it in two weeks! Um, Also, if you're reading along and you have questions or comments that you would like us to read on the podcast and address, please email them to us, tweet them at us, put it on our Goodreads discussion, Yes, Facebook us, so many ways to get in contact. Yeah, so we have all of our social media accounts, so please follow us, please. Please, 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 please rate and review us. Yeah. Wait, Susan, what'd you say? Can you say that again? I said, please. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Can you please rate us and review us on iTunes, please? Please. Um, and also you can go to our website, which is booksquad.inc. I-N-K. I-N-K. Like a squid. I think Mary and I have just posted our second young adult's summer book club book summer book club which is a fire <laughs> and stars is that the name? yes a fire and stars yeah and keeping in the theme of homosexuality our last book was about two gay men and this book has lesbians in it so i'm super excited to talk about that because you know representation is important Okay, so we did it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shall we stop? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.